0: Hello and welcome to the Women's Agenda Podcast. My name is Angela Priestley. I'm the co-founder on Agenda Media, the publisher of Women's Agenda, and I'm not joined by my fellow co-founder, Tyler Lander, today, who has recently had a baby. Rather, I am joined by a special co-host, Dr. Amantha Imba. Now, Amantha is an organizational psychologist, the founder of behavioral science consultancy Inventium, and she's also the host of the number one ranking business podcast, How I Work, where she interviews some of the world's most... successful people about their habits strategies and rituals so today we will be discussing some of our key wins for women from the past week we're going to talk about the four-day work week and how to make the most of different weekly schedules and we're also going to be talking about her new book time wise powerful habits more time greater joy stick around she has so much to offer and plenty of tips as well thank you for listening Thank you so much for joining me, Amantha. Oh, I'm happy
1: to be here, and It's always exciting, like stepping into a guest kind of host role.
0: <laughs> I know. And I said to you before we started recording that I do listen to your podcast and I love your podcast. And so I'm a little bit nervous now because you do it so well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate um, appreciate the fact that you listen.
0: <laughs> so organizational psychologist, founder of Inventium, host of the How I Work podcast, which is the one that I love to listen to. Incredible guests, lots of great tips in there. I encourage people to go and check it out. And the under-13 Victorian State Table Tennis Champion with me today. So (laughs) I've got to ask you about the table tennis. Do you still play? Oh, my goodness. I, You know what? I
1: occasionally play with a mate of mine, Lisa Leong, who hosts This Working Life and works over at the ABC, and we both enjoy a hit of table tennis. And it's really interesting as an adult when You're having a hit, like we don't play competitively with a friend. You just kind of, you get into this really nice conversation zone where you're sort of not really thinking or censoring anything that you're saying because you're focused on returning the ball back to the other player. And so we've had some quite joyful
0: conversations over table tennis. Wow. I need to get back into it. I was never competitive. I wouldn't even know where I had to start. <laughs> okay. So thank you for joining me, my usual co-host, Tyler and co-founder on the business. She's just had a baby. So obviously she's taking a break and it's wonderful to have you as our first guest here. We are going to get to talk to your book time-wise in just a moment, which I just got a copy of. There is so many great tips in there and I'm just really keen to learn as much as I can from you in this short amount of time that we have available. But first, as we do every week, let's cross to our wins for women. Now, thank you to the Cartier Women's Initiative for supporting this segment. So the initiative is a global entrepreneurship program that champions women founders whose businesses have a social or environmental impact eligible businesses must be not-for-profit in the early stages of growth and meet one of the UN sustainable development goals. So it's a great program and we're getting very close to the deadline for entries for that. We are partnering with the Cartier Women's Initiative to try and get more Australian and New Zealand-based businesses applying because we know that there are so many brilliant ones out there. So go and check it out at cartierwomensinitiative.com. So Amatha, what is your win for this week? So I was reflecting on this, and I feel like I've
1: picked something really obvious, but I think it's a really big win, and that is the Victorian and New South Wales governments funding a year of preschool care for four-year-olds. So from what I understand, it's 30 hours a week of play-based learning. And look, I was fortunate enough for for my daughter, who's eight years old now, to go to an early learning center at the school that she is at when she was three and four years old. And You know, I just look at the growth that she experienced during that and also the fact that she was in a classroom with great teachers and great peers and it allowed me to do my work and kind of not feel mother guilt in terms of trying to juggle having a little person at home and also trying to work. So I think that's a huge win for women because it is still mostly women that stay home with little people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a huge win. I mean, we've been following, there's been so many announcements out of the New South Wales government, even over the last day or so, and we see what's being contributed in terms of childcare, in terms of women's um, economic participation as well. And it's almost, it's, it's quite a reformist agenda. And we know that it's driven a lot by Sam Austin, who is clearly being heard and is doing a really great job in terms of trying to achieve this once in a generation. And change which she has spoken to so I love that and I think it's just a great opportunity for more parents and also for those kids as well just to make sure more kids get access to that early childhood education which we know is so vital. Mm. I'm going to share two very quick wins so the first one was just to note Senator Fatima uh, Payman or soon to be senator so she has secured the sixth senate spot in Western Australia for Labor she'll be the first Afghan Australian to enter federal parliament Uh, She arrived from Afghanistan at the age of eight and the daughter of a kitchen hand who uh, her father had on various jobs for who she's spoken to and said how she's watched his hard work and she's been inspired by him. And uh, she's only 27. So uh, there's not many people under 30 in parliament and I feel like there should be given the role policymakers have in determining the lives, the environment and the debt that young people take on. So I thought that was a pretty special win.
1: That is so inspiring. And it reminds me, actually, I recently did a, a breakfast presentation at Brimbank City Council here in Victoria, and the mayor of Brimbank was there, Jasmine, and she is only 23 years old and she wow. is so yeah. amazing and inspiring. So I think it's it's really exciting um, with these younger women getting into really important leadership positions.
0: We love hearing those stories as well because also often that can be a stepping stone into state politics, into federal politics, and to go further as well. So great to hear. Mm. I want to just touch on a very quick other one, which is from this Melbourne-based gaming company called Lumai Interactive. They've got this awesome game in development called Kinder World. And it's a game that investors say is creating this new category in gaming, one that's about mindfulness and it removes that, you know, that you've got to go and do your five minutes of meditation, you know, that style app. It's more friendlier than that. And it enables you to grow virtual plants using your acts of kindfulness. It's about compassion and community and taking a break for yourself. And it's co founded by women. And they just received an Australian record for seed round funding into a female founded gaming business, close to $10 million yesterday. So amazing work from Lauren and Christina who have founded that business. Wow. I, I want to check that out. What's the name again? The app is Kinder World. So they've got a version of it that you can get on iOS and Android. And just the way they approached us and told us this news, I was just it was just so nice to see how they had this awesome photo and they have a full-time well-being researcher on staff, which I think you don't usually get from tech companies, which may have been nice to have seen other gaming companies, other social media companies having from the outset, so really considering their community and the, the impact of the work that they're doing on their community as well. So it's it's a great story. So, Amantha, I've got your new book, Time Wise, which, like I mentioned, we want to get to shortly. But we did want to discuss a big story that we've been covering here. We've covered it for years. I know that you've written about it for Women's Agenda as well. And we're seeing various experiments around this in the UK and soon to be Australia also and that is the four day work week which i feel like 5 years ago i remember writing a story actually about a company that was pursuing the four day work week 5 or 6 years ago and it was it was a really big story for us that week because people were like wow this is this is incredible like how are you doing this how is this even possible and now we're seeing it is very possible, and in fact, not only possible, but for potentially has all these other great outcomes in terms of productivity, in terms of gender equality, in terms of well being and work life balance. So, where do you think we are at with the four day work week? But maybe also tell us a little bit more about your experiences with your organization and when you decided to take it on. So
1: how it started at Inventium, which is the behavioural science consultancy I founded about 15 years ago, we have experimented with all sorts of ways to make work better. And myself, I trained as an organisational psychologist, so I kind of get a bit obsessed with these things. And it's it's cool when it's your company and you can just like do whatever you want. Um, and you don't have like a boss to get approval from. So where it started was, I think in 2016, we were looking for ways to bring a better balance to a team's lives because people were working quite long hours. Our consultants did quite a bit of travel. They do less now, but we definitely had some pretty tired team members. And we thought, let's try out this thing called unlimited paid leave, which is how it sounds. It means instead of annual leave being capped at four weeks, it's basically unlimited. And we called it rebalance leave with a theory being that annual leave is capped at four weeks in Australia in terms of legal requirements, whereas in our industry management consulting, while people are essentially contracted to work a 38 hour or 40 hour week, people work many more hours than that. And it's not an industry that pays overtime and we don't, Keep timesheets or anything like that. So that felt like an unfair employee proposition that we'll cap your leave, but we won't cap your working hours. So we thought, well, you know, to make things a bit fairer, to give people more control over their working lives, we gave people as much leave as they wanted so that they could lead more balanced lives. We ran that for three and a half years. And on average, people took five and a half weeks of leave per year, but it didn't fix the problem. People were still having periods of time where they would be working very intensely and they couldn't actually schedule the leave because the client demands and client work was just too great. So didn't solve the problem. So we ended up dropping that. And then in 2020, around about April, about a month after the pandemic had really hit Australia and within a few weeks, um, so much of our work got Cancelled or postponed because the majority of what we did was face to face work. It's not anymore. The majority is now virtual because we completely pivoted the way that we did things. But we had to quite heart wrenchingly retrench for team members, and the team that was left, like it's you know, it's this horrible environment. I'd never had to retrench anyone at Inventium, and it's really hard. Like when you you're a small team and you lose four people, and there were eight of us left, and we spent some time having a chat as a team going like what what could we do to make life at Inventium really great and kind of lift us up from where we've sort of just been in the last few weeks. And our CEO, Mish, suggested, well, what about trying the four-day week? And I thought about this as well. I'd had Andrew Barnes from Perpetual Guardian, who's one of the co-founders of the movement in New Zealand, on how I work. And I'd read his book, which is all about the four day week. And I'd wanted to try it, but I just kind of put it on the back burner. And when Mish suggested it, I'm like, "Hmm, that sounds really good. The team were quite excited about the idea, but there was also some stress as well, because they were like, how are we going to fit five days worth of work into four? And I should add in terms of what the four day work is, it's full-time staff paid their full-time salary. So hundred percent remuneration, but they work 80% of the hours. So they work four normal length days, not four crazy length days. And The output that is expected is what you would expect from a full-timer, so 100% output or 100% productivity. So that's the idea. So we ran a six-month experiment in the back half of 2020. We set a whole bunch of hypotheses. We tracked a lot of data, and at the end of the six months, it was a a huge success. Like engagement went through the roof. It was already very high, but it really peaked. Uh, Stress reduced. People's, uh, like, intention to stay with the company increased, productivity increased by 26%, which given we're a firm that teaches other people to be more productive, we're already very high performing. So that was quite amazing that increased. And we met our financial targets two months early. So we've been running it now for about two years.
0: Yeah. seems like the kind of thing you might want to continue with then. Wow. Yes. 26% (laughs) increase in productivity. That's, I mean, the first thing you think is, well, 20% less productivity working one less day. But so what do you put behind that? How does that work? Like, how does it happen that you end up being more productive by working less days? I mean, I can think of some, some ideas why, but why do you think that's the case? Well, look, aside
1: from the fact that We really double down on a lot of the productivity strategies that we teach to our clients and certainly strategies that are in my new book, TimeWise. I think something else that happens when you're used to working full time and that's just kind of how it is and you accept that. And I don't think that people, for the most part, think all that deliberately about how they use their working hours because you just accept the fact that you're working Monday to Friday And most of us work sort of somewhere between an eight to 10 hour day is pretty normal. And that's kind of that. But when you're suddenly given this massive constraint, like you've got, you've just like cut 20% of the working week and 20% of the available hours to get your job done, you start to think really consciously and deliberately about how you use every hour in the day. And I should add that we called the initiative and Inventium gift of the fifth with the theory being if you get your job done between Monday to Thursday, you get the gift of time on Friday. So you get to have Friday off. That's the day that we picked. Um, A lot of companies that do the four-day week have different days, but we decided for various reasons we would all have Friday as the day. And so there's this huge motivation to get more time to pursue all sorts of things. And so, like, the stakes are high. So you do want to be really deliberate about how
0: you use your hours. Yeah, to be totally intentional. It's that Parkinson's law, that idea that what time stretches. So work will expand. Which is true, which is why I think also you see some of the uh, studies come out around working mothers as well. And like where you see their productivity go up, because I certainly feel this when I know, you know, my kids are at various you know school or various forms of care, whatever. And you kind of consider what you might be investing in that level of Care And and to make that available for you. So there is that whole sense of, well, I've got to get as much done in this time here that I've got, whether that's five hours, six hours, whether it's eight to 10 hours, whether it's four days over five days, whatever it is, you know that you've got to be really intentional about every minute that actually occurs in there. And like as a leader in your business, how do you, I mean, I guess because it's one thing to be an entrepreneur and a business owner and to have your own kind of set ideas about how to make the most of your own time. How do you actually let that flow on to other people to make their own time and also to make way for other things that they might have Monday to Thursday that they can't necessarily uh, be 100% on all work Monday to Thursday, even if they are getting that Friday because they might have other responsibilities or a kid that gets sick or whatever it is. But how do you kind of inspire the time management tools and ideas into your team as a business leader? It's an
1: interesting question. I almost feel like it's part of our DNA. Like we have been working in certain ways for years and it's just become habitual. Like to give you an example, we all work to our chronotype. And so chronotype is basically a fancy name for the peaks and troughs in our energy levels over a 24 hour period. So broadly speaking, there's larks who are morning people, owls who do the best work at night. And then there's middle birds who are like larks, but they get up an hour or two later, but they still do their best work in the morning. And so at Inventium, for example, we would rarely schedule a meeting before lunch. And most people, assuming that they're not, say, running a workshop or delivering a speech or, you know, running a webinar or something like that, that needs to be done at a specific time, they'll be doing their deep focus thinking work in the morning when they're at their peak. So that's like one example that, It's just habitual. And we know at Inventium, we default to asynchronous communication very deliberately, which means non-live communication. Wherever possible, we do things asynchronously. So via email or via Google Docs, where we can collaborate at a time that it suits us, which reduces the need for a lot of meetings. Because I think that meetings are actually one of the biggest problems when it comes to productivity and using our time unwisely. So for example, I read some research recently that shows that the average person spends 21 hours a week in meetings. That's like over half our working week. And that is up seven hours from pre-pandemic where we spent about 15 hours a week in meetings. So even like as an organization or as a leader, if I can just set up some working norms or some strategies that maybe get us reducing meetings by half, I freed up over a day a week for people.
0: Mm, yeah, that's incredible that we're working in um, more meetings now because you'd actually think that maybe less time in meetings because you're not there physically in person, you think you can be maybe more efficient because it's a virtual meeting, but that's not the case. Because it's a virtual meeting, we might actually be creating more virtual meetings just for the sake of it, which I think we certainly see. So on to your book, Time Wise. 150, this is based on the 150 interviews that you've done with a huge range of people, so many creatives and different mm. authors, particularly the authors in there and some of my favorites like Cal Newport in there too. Um, I guess and I will record over this later on if I need to fix the hammer <laughs> that is going on in the background which wasn't happening half an hour ago but for whatever reason has to happen at this moment and that is one of the things from working from home and being remote first oh, I guess isn't it? <laughs> it is isn't
1: it. I, I often I have an eight-month-old caboodle and I swear she'll be sleeping all day but as soon as she detects from downstairs that upstairs I'm recording a
0: podcast, she will go She's ill.
1: Yeah, She's she needs to be like, in there and
0: she wants to be heard on your podcast. I get it. So. I, want to be,
1: I want to be like the other guest, please. Yep.
0: <laughs> so a little more into I guess the why behind the book, and I guess the why comes down to why you started the podcast in the first place, was to go out there and learn from these different people. But I do want to get to some of like, your favorite tips that come out because the thing is that all the tips in there they're not for everyone right they're going to suit different types of people and that's the thing about learning from so many different people is that you might find something that suits you i guess to hear what you have found in your um journey to to be more productive what you found particularly useful to take more control of your time some of the best tips within that that, that we can learn today
1: Ah, oh, such a it's such a hard question um That, given I'm doing publicity for the book, I probably need to (laughs) have a better answer for. But like pretty much every strategy in the book I've experimented with and I've used for various periods of time. And I often think that it comes down to like, what what is the challenge that I'm facing in my work life that I'm looking for a solution to overcome? So as an example, I mentioned meetings before and you mentioned Cal Newport. I've had Cal on the show um, on how I work a couple of times. Um, For those that haven't, heard of Cal Newport. He's a professor at Georgetown University and has written several best-selling books, including Deep Work, which I think is what he's most well-known for. And his latest book was called A World Without Email. And it's basically a book that looks at how can we actually reduce the amount of unscheduled communication that we get through like email and Slack and, and different channels like that. And so often like we'll, and I'm guilty of this myself, which is why I like this strategy. Like we'll we'll have a thought and then we'll immediately send that thought or random question to a teammate, thus clogging up their inbox. It's often, it might be a question that's actually more suited to a synchronous discussion. So like a phone chat or a meeting or something like that. And it's and and then sending an email means that you're gonna get an email back most of the time. And so it's just starting this chain of more unscheduled interruptions in the ways that you know you communicate digitally like through email. And so one of the strategies that Cal shared with me that he does in his own life, and that I absolutely use this every week, is he has on his, you know, to-do list. Sort of methodology. He has what he calls a to discuss list, where what he'll do, he has kind of different notes for the various people that he will often have contact with in his job. And whenever he thinks of something that he's like, oh, I need to check that with so and so, rather than pinging them on email or Slack or Messenger, he will add it to his to discuss list for that person. So for me, the people that I would most frequently kind of have these, oh, must have a chat to such and such about this. Uh, firstly, my assistant, Hannah, and secondly, CEO of Inventium, Mish. And I've often fallen into the trap where I'll just ping them and clog up their inbox and be very, very annoying. But um, but when I'm being a good team member, I will use my two discuss lists. And I've, I've got two separate lists for both of them. And I will just add things to the list. And when they build up, um, I mean, Hannah and I meet twice a week anyway to catch up on stuff so that's useful for that um but then with mish we typically catch up about every couple of weeks and i will go through
0: my to discuss list
1: with her during that and that is such a big time saver and reducer of emails
0: Yeah, and reducer of meetings as well, because you have it scheduled, ready to go. Like this is what we're going to get through in this meeting. So let's make sure that we make the most of it. I know that my co-founder, Tyler, she does that with me. I don't know if she would have, um, (laughs) she's not as into like productivity strategies as I am. So I don't know if she would have read it in Cal Newport's book, but she definitely does that where she will have this list of things that we are going to get through during this session, probably because she also knows that I have a tendency to go off track and to come up with a random (laughs) idea during the conversation and that she needs to keep me on schedule. But it's certainly really useful. I guess, can I ask with productivity, and often it can feel like we do have this sort of obsession with productivity, but how do we actually turn off from productivity or the thought of it? I mean, I recently saw a meme and it was something like, oh, you know, I'm having a day off. I need to go and look up the 10 best strategies on how to be super effective in my day (laughs) off and how to be excellent at actually relaxing and I mean, I get that. I feel like I don't really know how to relax. Sometimes I don't know that I necessarily want to. Do you completely switch off? Do you have work and not work? Or is it, does it blend? Do you like the fact that you might be able to sit and think up ideas for your next book, even though you're not supposed to be working? What, what do you do? And do you think that we need to have an off switch on productivity? I think it's such an important question and it's such an important thing to think about because
1: I am a sucker for productivity porn. Like give me a headline that's like, you know, the 10 things that the world's most successful people do before breakfast and I'll be clicking on that article. But when I wrote Time Wise, I didn't want to create just another productivity book that makes everyone feel completely ineffective in how they currently do their days. For me, it's about being really deliberate with how you use your time as opposed to lots of ways to just get things done quicker and faster and more, more, more and never switch off. So I think I'm actually very good at switching off, but I caveat that with the fact that I love my work. And so when I'm talking about things to do with work or when I'm reading the book of say someone I'm going to be interviewing on how I work, it feels like fun. And it's like, well, if I'm reading Cal Newport's latest book on the weekend, am I working or am i just enjoying myself and i think the answer is both and and likewise last night i feel like i'm actually in quite a busy period and even though we do the four day week i'm definitely going to be doing a few hours of work on friday but last night for example my partner came over and we cooked dinner together we ate dinner we had a really lovely evening but then he had work to do and i had a few things that i wanted to get on top of and so we just sat on the couch with our laptops probably for an hour or so And we worked and then we chatted a bit about work and a bit about ideas that we were both thinking about for our work, but it didn't feel like I was working and it certainly didn't feel like anyone was forcing me to do that work. So I find it a tough question to answer. Yes, I absolutely switch off and I try not to do what would be considered as work on weekends and obviously not on Fridays, but there are
0: things that I love doing and they happen to be stuff that I do for work. Yeah, exactly. And maybe that is an answer in itself it's that it's dependent on every individual because sometimes we can feel this sort of sense of like well you need to relax you need to have these off days or these no screen days or it's like well I don't want to have a no screen day necessarily I mean maybe sometimes but I might want to go and read a book that's related to my work or go and read different news stories from the week that I may have missed on you know on a Sunday and, and try to keep up there so it's that sort of sense of everyone being different. And this is what I like about all the different strategies as well that you share in your podcast and across the book that come from all these different people. Is that often I feel like that you know that what successful people do when they wake up in the morning. Just so often, it doesn't take into account the fact that a lot of us have caring responsibilities or things that occur in the morning, or that we're not actually guided by an alarm clock in the morning. We uh, we wait for a three year old to wake us up, or whatever it is, you know, maybe we can't leave our house to go for a run or go to the gym or do whatever all these super successful people do because they probably have a partner in the background who is looking after all that other stuff that has to get done. That means that you can't have your perfect morning every morning.
1: That's so true. And if you look at most productivity gurus in inverted commas that are out there, like in that particular category, they're mostly men. A lot of them are younger men that don't have kids. Like, I think you're absolutely right. And if I think about my life, so I'm a a single parent, so divorced from my ex-husband now ex about three years ago. And so I've got my daughter Frankie 50% of the time. And my time when Frankie's in the house is completely different to when she's not in the house in terms of how I structure my whole life. And, you know, kids do change things and you can't have the perfect morning when you've got a child and children are unpredictable and children need to be at school at a certain time. So I
0: couldn't agree more. Yeah. And kids, I've got a kid home sick at the moment. And so that that's kind of going on in the background and that is its own thing. So it means that the perfect Wednesday isn't going to be the perfect Wednesday that I may have planned. But I think, again, that's why I was drawn to to your podcast and this book because so many podcasts in this area, it is by men and I listen to them, I like, I enjoy them, but it's like I do definitely notice that and a lot of the guests don't ever mention children or they don't mention children in the way that I think of mentioning children the fact that it's really hard. They mention children in terms of trying to be a present dad but not mentioning in the sense of all the things that can go wrong during a night or the six times that you woke up the night before or how to manage when one is unexpectedly home sick. We don't necessarily hear that but we get that more from from you being a woman, being a mother and, and having that perspective also. And then into books, I mean, all the business books, time management books, I think like nine out of 10 of them are written by women. I think that's, I mean, sorry, are written by men, I might say. And I think that's slowly changing, but that's not speaking to or answering to the fact that so many of us as uh, women with so much unpaid work on top of the paid work that we're trying to do, just we really, really need to try and get so much more out of our time. And these sorts of strategies are so incredibly valuable for us. And I just think so many of these authors are losing that audience because it's playing to a certain type of individual, not thinking about individuals as all the differences and all the many things that they bring along with them. So thank you for writing <laughs> thank you, <for> being <laughs> and breaking the mold of what these yeah, business productivity guru people are. So I, I do need to ask about your career before we finish up. And because I mean, I've got it somewhere that you had a record deal and you didn't pursue it and you didn't take it and tell us all about that and how you made that choice and what you decided to do instead and also what kind of music you actually create. Yes, this is correct.
1: Um, (laughs) You've done your research well, Ange. Um, So, what happened there during my honors year in psychology? It was a really tough year, not only because honors in psychology was definitely the hardest of the seven years I spent studying psychology, but also because I had a broken heart, unrequited love. It was Mm -hmm. a very nasty case of that. And so, I was kind of like looking for a creative outlet to express my emotions. And I used to do a lot of playwriting and script writing at school and university. And it's a hard form because it actually takes quite a lot of people to actually have that work come to life. And at the same time, I was quite musical as a child, learnt many instruments. And I can't remember why or when, but one day i sat down with my guitar and I just started writing. Even though like I I kind of know music theory a little bit, like enough to, you know, like to a grade one standard. So like, you know, enough to sound like I marginally know what I'm doing. I had no idea about songwriting. I had no idea that how to write a song is that you actually pick a key and then all the chords that are in that song have to be in the same key. I had no idea. So I started writing songs and being sort of like a bit type A in my personality, uh, I'm like, well, I've written these songs, maybe I should contact a producer and put down a demo. Um, and so this was kind of like progressing into my doctorate now, which was a sort of two-and-a-half, three-year time commitment, which was a lot less full-on than the honours Here Had a bit more time. And so... Recorded a demo and then just naively I'm like, oh, I guess like I've got a demo so I should probably send that out to record labels because that's just what like what you do. Like, idiot, what was I thinking? Anyway, so I got this thing called the Elves Music Industry Directory which is like the yellow pages for the music industry and I circled ten record labels where I knew some of the bands and artists that were on the label because I didn't know much about music and my tastes were quite sort of specific and I figured if I had heard of the band then there must be a big label. So sent off 10 demos and then I remember about two weeks later I'm pulling up in the Monash Clayton car park and my phone rings and there's this guy, John Satterley, and he's like, hey, it's John calling from Roadrunner Records. I've been listening to your demo all morning, played it for the whole label, half the folk here love it, half hate it, and <laughs> music that polarises sells records. Um, when can I meet with you? And so that basically then led to a year-long journey while I was doing my doctorate full-time of pursuing this deal with Roadrunner, so they offered me a deal and wanting to re-record the album and, and then sort of like towards the end of that year and working towards that and they came to a few gigs, John was like, so you know that like when we do this recording and we release it, like your life will be being on tour for 11 out of 12 months of the year. And I didn't realise that. Again, total naivety, I was in my early 20s and I thought, oh shit that means I have to give up psychology and I'd always wanted to be a psychologist also I was really miserable during that year of pursuing music professionally like it was awful it became about everything but the music for various reasons and so in the end I I told my manager I need you to get me out of this I don't want to do it I don't want to be a musician So that was the story there in terms of what type of music it was. If you can imagine, this might not mean anything for people that are younger, but if you can imagine a cross between Alanis Morissette and Frente, it was somewhere in that realm. It means,
0: me. means a lot to me. I mean, I just think that that's a great story. Like it's just not many people would be, I mean, basically you're talking about my childhood dream. So you went and gave that up, but I, I get that in that sense that you always knew that you wanted to do psychology. I think that's incredible that you knew what you wanted and that wasn't it, even though for everything that sounds so like the dream for so many people, it wasn't your dream. Mm, yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the Women's Agenda podcast. I encourage everyone to go out and get your book time-wise. I think it's out in early July? July 5. July 5. Okay, Mm -hmm. out there on books. There's also an audio version I saw that's coming out on July 5 as well, which is great for those of us who like to listen to things while we're doing other stuff as well. Um, But thank you so much for joining me, our first guest host in this way. You did a brilliant job. So (laughs) thank you. We learned a lot from you as well. Thanks very much. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Women's Agenda podcast. A reminder that you can access all the stories that we've discussed in some shape or form at womensagenda.com.au. where you can also sign up to our daily newsletter to get them delivered straight to your inbox. Thank you to my special guest co-host, Dr. Amanda Imba. Her book is Time Wise, Powerful Habits, More Time, Greater Joy, and it is available in bookstores and online from the 5th of July. Thank you for listening.